And on the inside of the bulletin, this is First Chronicles 29, 11 through 13, and that can be found on page 4. First Chronicles 29, 11 through 13. This is David speaking uh, about, uh, well, I'll explain a little bit. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. The word of the Lord. Well, I came back yesterday from uh, a college weekend. Uh, We took our son, my wife is still there, and our oldest son, Will, is looking at college. And so we went to visit Liberty University. Uh, And they do this thing called college for a weekend where you can stay there and uh, basically, the students are paired with other stu- uh, uh, students and they hang out and uh, have a good time. Uh, and uh, it was pretty amazing. I don't know if you've driven by Lynchburg lately, but um, they have over a billion dollars in construction going on at Liberty right now. Uh, mostly because they, they got in early on the online education. They have like 100,000 students online. Uh, and they're actually constructing this divinity school, which is pretty cool. It's uh, you know, uh, it, it's this building and it's a tower that goes up and each one of the floors is where the classrooms for the Divinity School uh, w- will be. It makes me want to go uh, back to seminary uh, because, uh, you know, normally we don't get these plush sort of surroundings, but at Liberty apparently uh, it's a big deal. Um, as I saw this construction, uh, it made me think of another story, not necessarily for Liberty, but I thought it applicable to our sermon and that's the construction of the Taj Mahal. I don't know, has anyone ever seen the Taj Mahal? Has anybody been to India to see it? It's a magnificent structure. It took 20 years to build, about 20,000 workers. Uh, and it was created by a guy, uh, the Shah, Shah Jahan was his name. And he created the Taj Mahal as a memorial to his wife. When he married his wife, his, uh, her original name was Arjuman Bano Bagum. But when she became married to Shah Jahan, he changed her name to Muntaz Mahal, which means jewel of the palace. And when she died uh, an untimely early death, he was so devastated by her law, by his loss that he wanted to build something to commemorate her. And so he took uh, the, the coffin of his wife and put it in the center of, this, uh, uh, of the building uh, where, the, where the building was to take place and building commenced. And as the years went on and as the, the stresses of construction, Shah Jahan became consumed by the construction process. And one time as he was walking through one of the rooms, his, his foot uh, uh, hit a box. And he was so frustrated that this box was in the way that he ordered that it be thrown out. Well, as legend has it, the box was that of the coffin of his wife. That he had become so consumed with the building that was supposed to honor his wife that he had forgotten why he had started building in the first place. So I thought of that story. I thought a little bit about life. 
and how our lives can be like that. All of us are building something in our lives, right? Building a life. And we can become so consumed with the life that we're building, we don't realize or understand the purpose for what we're building our life. I again think of the great philosopher band Alabama who sang the song, I'm, I'm in a hurry to get things done and I rush and rush until life's no fun. All I really want to do is live and die and I'm in a hurry and I don't know why. This story here, this passage, this prayer by David is happening as David is building a temple. And David is focusing on the purpose of building the temple. He's getting back to, uh, he's making sure to be anchored in the reality of why he's doing what he's doing. I think this temple is a mirror of life. If you want to think about it, your life, who you are, and what you have is a gift from God. But what you choose to do with your life, that's your offering back to God. In this particular passage, David shows that he gets it, that he understands that who he is and what he is comes from God. And so he wants to offer back to him. If we want to be the kind of people that don't end up like Shah Jahan, there are three things that we need to do. Number one, we need to recognize who God is. We need to understand who he is, the place that he occupies in the world, the place he is to occupy in our life. Number two, if we recognize who he is, then we need to recognize what he gives. We need to understand that our lives are a gift from God. We need to see what he's done for us. And then finally, number three, we need to respond. We need to respond. We need our life to become a response with our words, but not only with our words, but with our works. Because who we are and what we have is a gift from God. What we choose to do with it, well, that's our offering. Well, let's begin. This passage here, David is praying uh, in response to the offering that has been given for the temple. If you'll remember, David, the shepherd boy, has been raised up and is king of Israel and has vanquished all of his enemies. And he's busy in a, in a palace and his mind is thinking to himself, here I am living in this nice palace and there is no home, no palace for God. He should be honored above all. And so he makes plans to build a temple. He wants to build a temple. But God speaks to him through the prophet Nathan and says, you are not to build the temple. Instead, Solomon, your son, will build the temple. But God gives to David the plans for the temple that David is to give to Solomon. And so David begins preparation of the resources so that Solomon will have everything he needs. And so uh, David, in his mind, has been given the plans as down to even the amount of quantity of gold that's necessary in each of the lampstands. And so David makes a contribution out of his own uh, treasury. And it's quite staggering. He, he says that, that he gives 3,000 talents of gold for the construction of the temple. That is the equivalent of 225,000 pounds of gold. It's an unbelievable number. How could anyone accumulate that much gold? In addition to 525,000 pounds of silver and precious stones and so on and all of these things, he gives 
for the construction of the temple. And then he calls out to the people and the people respond in kind. The leading families of Israel, they give uh, 375,000 pounds of gold, 750,000 pounds of silver. Uh, from the greatest, some people giving uh, pounds of gold, some people simply giving gold coins, but everybody is contributing so this temple can be built. And so David, as he sees this, he cannot help but pray and, and respond to God. And so he says in verse 11 here, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Now notice what David is doing here. He's acknowledging who God is. He says to God, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. David wants to communicate to God, This is how I see you. In other words, to me does not belong the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty, but rather, Yours, O Lord, is. Well, of course, God by His very nature are these things. But we have the choice of whether to recognize them or not. And so David is acknowledging and assigning to God His worth. And he's assigning to, to Him, I don't like that word assigning, acknowledging it in the superlative. Notice he doesn't say, Yours, O Lord, is greatness and power and majesty. He says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power, and the glory, and the majesty. In other words, there is no higher greatness. All greatness belongs to you. Yours is the greatness. Yours is the power. You are the ultimate, so to speak. All greatness and power and glory and majesty are yours. So David puts God or recognizes God in the highest way possible. And he uses this Beautiful language, right? Yours is the greatness. This word greatness you could translate as dignity or recognition or honor. It's the same root that's used for the word in Hebrew, tower. In other words, the tower is the highest point in the city. It towers above everything else. Your greatness, God, towers above everything else. As the scriptures say, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you. And there is no God beside you. According to all that we have heard with our ears. There is God and there is everything else. He is in a class by himself. And why does David say that yours is the greatness? Because for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Everything belongs to you, God. You are the greatness. We all remember Muhammad Ali, right? The famous boxer who after vanquishing all comers he would say very unabashedly, I am the greatest. But even Muhammad Ali would never go as far as to say, I am the greatness. Right? He is the greatest because he has vanquished all comers. God is the greatness by the very nature of the fact that he owns all things and they belong to him. Yours is the greatness and yours is the power, O oh God. We live in a pretty neat place, right? Uh, where we can witness the power of man. I don't know if you've ever gone to the Neptune Festival and you watch one of those F-18 strike eagles or whatever they call coming in low and fast and it is quite amazing. 
or you watch an aircraft carrier going out to sea, right? One of those Nimitz with their twin nuclear reactors, these unbelievable ships. But they're not even anything compared to nature. Living next to the ocean, we have experienced the power of nature, right? When a hurricane is happening and the waves are, uh, are kicking up and washing and the lightning striking, that's power. But it's nothing compared to the power, is it? God, it said, determines the number of stars and he gives to the, all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond all measure. He counts all the stars. He manages all of them indeed. It says that Christ is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. It's, we know that in the Milky Way alone there are a hundred billion stars. And we also know there are at least 10 trillion galaxies. So think of the number of stars that have been created and are being managed actively by God. Yours is the power, O oh God. Yours is the glory. The word glory in Hebrew, the root word is to gleam. It's kind of like the gleam of gold. It's the beauty, the effulgence, the radiance of God. Yours is the beauty. I have uh, uh, been blessed to go around the world and see some amazing things. I've been able to go to the Alps several times and see the, the beauty of the, of the range of mountains and the snow and the magnificence of it. I've been able to dive and see coral reefs and the beautiful, vibrant life. One of the most beautiful scenes I've ever seen is in Yosemite, looking in the valley and seeing the, the, the animals and the grazing and the beauty. But it's nothing compared to the glory of God from which everything else is derived. Yours is the victory, O God. Who can stand before God? For the Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. Yours is the victory. None can stand against God, not even death. And yours is the majesty. You know, kings, they used to be called your highness because they were the highest, right? I think it was King Louis that changed it to wanting to be called your majesty because your majesty was the ultimate, even higher than highness. But there is only one who is the majesty, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Why does David communicate all of these things to God? Because yours is the kingdom, O God, and you are exalted as head above all. David the king is saying this. But David is wise because he recognizes who he is by comparison to God. And he recognizes not only who he is, but why he is. That he was created for God's glory. That he was formed and made for his purposes. This is the problem of man, you see. The scriptures tell us that since the beginning of the world, God's invisible qualities have been seen, being understood, his eternal power and divine nature, so that men are without excuse. But although we know God, we neither glorify Him or give thanks to Him. 
but rather mankind has exchanged the glory of God and worshipped other things. The problem with humanity is not that we need more education. The problem with humanity is not we need to somehow find a way to reconcile with one another and just get along. The problem is we have exchanged the glory of God and put ourselves and things in God's place. And so we refuse to recognize God. But that doesn't change who God is. It was C.S. Lewis that said, A man can no more diminish God's glory by refusing to worship Him than a lunatic can put out the sun by scribbling darkness on the walls of his cell. God is God and there is no other. But David recognizes who he is. And when he sees who God is and who he is, he worships. I can't remember who it was, but I, I talked to someone recently and they were visiting the area. And they told me, much to my amazement, that they had never seen the ocean before. You know, you think to yourself, if you've lived on the ocean, how, how can that be that you've never seen the ocean? But if you sort of live in the center of the country, maybe there's never been a reason. And so they said they were looking forward to seeing the ocean, that they'd never seen it. The closest they'd ever been to, you know, was a lake or, you know, something like that. But what is in comparison to the ocean? I would have loved to have stood next to them as they gazed out and saw the limitlessness, the vastness of water and just took it all in. You see, if we don't see the greatness of God, then all the things that money can buy become very exciting. If you can't see the sun, you will be impressed with a street light. If you've never felt thunder and lightning, you'll be impressed with fireworks. And if you turn your back on the greatness and majesty of God, you'll fall in love with a world of shadows and short-lived pleasures. So easy for us to gaze and keep our vision here. But David didn't, didn't do that and we must not either. We must recognize who he is. We all acknowledge. We all assign. And so the question I have for you today is this. When you say yours is the greatness, who do you bow down to? Who are you acknowledging as the greatness? Is it a person? A man or a woman? A celebrity? A piece of metal? What is the greatness that you bow down to? How about this? Yours is the power. Who do you pray to? Or rely on? Am I looking in the mirror as I make this comment? It's my abilities. It's my skills. It is by my own hand that I accomplish. Do I believe that I have the power, or my boss has the power, or whoever has the power over me simply because they're in a position of influence? Or do I recognize the one who is all-powerful? Yours is the victory. Who do you look to when you say this? Where is your confidence? Where is your trust in which the victory will be gained? And yours is the glory and the majesty. What is it that you long to gaze on? 
and that mesmerizes your eyes and that you can stare at? Is it money? Is it beauty? Is it lust? See, when we assign these qualities to things that are not worthy of them, we're slaves to them. But when we assign them to the true God, they find their rightful place. And our heart is put at rest because all is right. We must recognize who He is. And we must also, number two, recognize what He gives. Look at verse 12. Both riches and honor come from you. And you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. And in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. It's like David is pausing for a second and looking back upon his life and remembering who he was. The shepherd boy. Remember when Samuel comes to find the king? And even his father brings out all the others brothers but doesn't bring him out for surely it's not him he's the youngest and yet God takes him from the sheep pens and gives him power and riches imagine as David even has the ability to give away these tremendous quantities of riches that he is amassed over a short period of time but not only riches come but honor. David is the king of Israel. Other kings come cringing before him. People won't even look him in the eye because of his greatness and his glory, the honor that he has. And yet David knows it is not by my hand, but rather it is because of you, God, and all that you've done. For you rule over all. I'm not the king, God, you are. Isaiah put it this way, that it is God who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. It's God who brings the princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely are they sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they, with, and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. Oh God, my kingship comes from you. It is yours. And it is you who give power and might in your hand. David has no illusions about when he stood before the giant Goliath and he hurled that little stone and yet somehow killed this fighting man. He understood that it's God's power and might that gives the victory in battle and that his position belongs uh, because of God. See, the reality, my friends, is this. There's no such thing as a self-made man or woman. That the circumstances that we have, the family we've been born into, the talents that God has given us, the education that we have, they all come from God. And He gives them to who He will. Our accomplishments are because of His. And God gives strength to all. It is because of God's strength that we have life and existence. And God, it is a gift whether you're a believer in Christ or not. But David could only glimpse what we can say to God. 
Because God has given us more than kingship. He's given us sonship. We're on the other side of the coming of the Son, Jesus Christ. Praise be to God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will. See, He's given to us, if you are a Christian, His Son. If God kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with Him is forgiveness. And so He is to be feared. And so what shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not give his, spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He graciously, not also along with Him, give us all things? And so David's heart is full of thankfulness. And what about mine? It was neat to take our son to Liberty as my wife and I were walking along and seeing other parents with their children. We, we were astounded that we were so old. Are we that wrinkled? Oh my gosh, you know? And so bound up in your heart as you're watching your child, you know, sort of in this environment and you're trying to help them find the next phase of their life where they can grow and flourish and your desire is for them to experience the best. That's the heart and the desire of parents. It's no different than God, our Father's heart for us. That He wants the best for us. That He is managing our life in such a way. Even the hard and bad things in life, the Scriptures tell us. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him and who have been called according to His purpose. God has given us a new life. He's given us the care of a parent. And so we must recognize not only what He is, but recognize what He gives. What a great gift. I think the greatest desire of a parent is for the child to turn and recognize and thank and love in response, to recognize what the parent is doing for them. It's our desire for our children and surely it's God's desire for us to trust Him, that He has a plan for me, to walk in His ways, even when we don't understand what He's doing, to believe and respond with praise and trust as we walk out this life. This brings me to my final point. That life is to be lived as a response. And how do we respond? With our word and with our works. I like how David finishes up the prayer in this passage. And now we thank you our God. And praise your glorious name. David responds with words of praise to God. David knew how to praise, didn't he? If you read the Psalms, most of them are his creation. Songs that he has written, glorifying and honoring God. Life is a response. As I was thinking about this passage, I realized 
that we are building two temples, each one of us. There is a temple that God is building on the earth right now. It's called His church. And did you know that you are one of the living stones that God is putting together with others? By which God is building up this thing that is a, His person, that He is the head of. It's living and organic. God has brought you into this temple called the church. We're not only living stones, but we're also builders of it. Because with each one that comes into the temple, he brings the skills and gifts and abilities that God has given him. Spiritual gifts. One of the themes that we have for this year is to grow and go, right? And to grow is to grow in my understanding and in my skill of what God has given me to help build up this church. To help strengthen the faith of one another. To help to be instruments of grace. And so, are you participating in the building up of this temple? Are you giving your talents? Maybe your talent is on the worship team. Maybe your talent is serving in different capacities. Maybe it's hospitality, it's greeting people, it's opening up your home. Maybe it's generosity and giving, that you have a heart and passion to build up the church through giving. Maybe it's through administration and leadership. Maybe there's a ministry that needs to be started or you need to jump in and participate, helping folks who are leading these different ministries. Have I given? Am I a part of the temple that's being built? But God also wants to add stones to this temple. We're not only to grow, we're also to go. We have a fantastic opportunity to be missionaries. Oh, missions, are that's somebody that we send. No, it's something and someone that we are. We're going to be going to a community in June to the Cherokee people, many of whom don't know Christ, most of whom who don't go to church. We have the opportunity to go be a part of being the hands and feet of Christ to that community. And it's going to cost money, and it's going to be inconvenient, and it's going to be a lot of work, and it is going to be the, one of the best things that you will ever do to participate in building up the body of Christ. To make sure that the jewel of the temple is lifted up and not discarded. I said we were building two temples. That's one. The second is your life. Your worship and your work. Do you know that in Hebrew the word for worship and work is the exact same word? The work that you do out there is your worship to God. It is how you respond to who He is and what He gives. Are you a homemaker? Are you building a home and a house? The day in, day out work of loving kids, of caring for your family, of being involved in your community. That is meant to be lived as a response using your time and talent and treasure to lift up Christ. 
Are you out in the workforce in a business? Are you running a business? Are you working in law enforcement? Are you a teacher? Are you a consultant? This is a second temple that I'm building myself. God has put me in that very place to show who he is. It's Matthew 5.16 that said, In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. At some point, you want people to ask you, why do you do what you do? Why do you love the way you love? Why do you work the way you work? The answer is simple. It's the jewel of the temple. Christ lives in me. And I live a life to honor Him. Let your life be a beacon to the one who is and the one who gives. All of who you are, all of what you have is a gift from God. Remember that. Today as you walk out, as you look at your house, as you see the fact that you're able to walk out of here on your own two feet, that you have someone who loves you, What you do, choose to do with your life, that's your offering. So make it count. You don't know how much longer that you have. But you have today. Today is a gift from God. I appreciate David. You know, the higher you get, the harder it is sometimes to recognize the glory of God. Because your glory obscures your vision. May we have clear eyes to see, clear minds to understand, clear ears to hear. That all comes from Him. That who I am is because of Him. And let us respond by building up this temple and the temple of our lives with our worship and our work. Let's pray. Father, all that we have, all that we are is from you. And who are we that you would make us enemies of God, your sons? And that you would give your son, Jesus, that we might have life in his name. Lord, help us not to be distracted by the worries and cares of this world. But help us to remember the truth that you are the greatness and the power and the glory and the grace that you give us, the care and love that you give us, is all that we need. Let us respond with our worship, our words, our work, in such a way that you are honored. We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.